Well, a very, very warm welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival today. My name is Lindsay Fraser, and I can assure you that if I hadn't had the privilege to be asked to introduce this author today, I would be sitting, I would have been first in the queue for a ticket. This is Judith Carr's first visit to the Edinburgh International Festival, Book Festival, and I feel quite overwhelmed with excitement, actually. She is a writer who made a huge impression on me as a teenager, quite a long time ago. Um, and I imagine she made a huge impression on you too. Now, I'm going to take up as little time as possible because we're going to hear from Judith. She's going to do some reading and talk a little bit about where, when Hitler stole Pink Rabbit and her fiction. And then there's a chance for you all to ask questions. Um, and I'm sure you're absolutely bursting to ask them. We'll have some fit young people who will be running around with microphones. So please do wait for the microphones to come so that everybody can hear, hear your questions. But just to put in context a remarkable career, The Tiger Who Came to Tea was first published in 1968. And I don't think it's ever been out of print since then. It is an absolute classic. And it's the sort of book that has entered the vocabulary of families throughout the world, not just the UK. And I'm sure many of you sitting there will remember that. 17 books about Mog the Cat. And the first one was published in 1970. And then 2002, saw the publication of Goodbye Mog, which we remember with fondness. When Hitler stole Pink Rabbit, that was first published in 1972. Now I was, and I'm quite you know, able to admit this, I was 11 at that stage. I think I was probably 15 when I actually read the book. And then rereading it the other day, it was a completely different experience, very interesting from an adult perspective reading it, but an absolutely brilliant novel, absolutely brilliant novel. It tells a story, as we know, of her family and their escape from Germany, and that's what she's going to talk a bit about today. So without further ado, I would like you to welcome Judith Carr to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Well, I'm not going to talk about the tiger um, because it doesn't take very long even just to read it um, or Mog because we all know Mog well. I'm on my ninth cat now. Um, I thought I would write, uh, I would talk about uh, when Hitler stole Pig Rabbit. I thought I'd start by telling you a bit about what I was writing about. Um, and a whole lot of things which I didn't know at the time. I wrote, I don't know why people write novels, I think there are lots of reasons, but the reason I wrote Pink Rabbit um, was because of my children. I think if I hadn't had this rather unusual childhood, um, I would probably have just stuck to drawing cats. But I'd had this slightly odd time as a child and I wanted to tell my children what it was really like. And so that's why I did. Of course, it all began when I was nine years old. I was German. My parents were German. We spoke only German. My brother and I went to ordinary German schools. 
we were also Jews. But my parents were not at all religious, so my brother and I really never gave it a thought. We lived in a nice house with a garden in Berlin. We had friends and a dog. I really wanted a cat, but we had this dog. Um, and we had holidays and a very pleasant, normal life. Our father was a writer. He wrote books about his travels and about the theater. And two or three times a week, he wrote an article for a Berlin paper rather like the Times. At that time, no one in Germany that believed that Hitler, in spite of all his ranting and raving, would ever come to anything. But my father did. He thought it was a great danger. And so he began to warn people against him. He was a very witty man. And his articles were often very funny, so lots of people read them, because I suppose that might have been slightly rare in Germany. Uh, and so perhaps they took them to heart. Now Hitler, as everyone knows, hated the Jews, but he particularly hated my father because of his writings. My parents didn't tell me, so I didn't know this, long, long afterwards, but um, long before the election in 1933, which brought Hitler to power, the Nazis published a list of names in one of their newspapers. And this was a list of people they said they would kill as soon as they came to power. They said, we will stand them up against the wall and shoot them. And my father was one of the first names on the list. Looking back now, I must say, I'm amazed that I didn't notice more of what was happening all around me. Perhaps because my parents never talked about it when my brother and I were there. But I know now, for instance, that every day... <laughs> was it not all right? No, Judith, you're, you're competing with the elements as well. It's so, we so don't, raining. We, ah. we could just, it's, it's the rain on the tent, so we're just... I'm we're so just sorry. Give, no, don't apologise, but just to give you a little boost so that everybody can... Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. I've been talking and nobody's I'm, heard, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that interesting, anyway. <laughs> um, yes, please. Uh, well... Yes, nowadays I know that um, every day during that last winter in Berlin, uh, there were people, the Nazis were beating up people in the streets and murdering people. And the police, many of whom were Nazis themselves, just stood by and did nothing. It probably didn't happen in our nice leafy suburb. But even so, you'd think I would have caught a hint of it. But of course, there was no television. It hadn't been invented. Nowadays, I think however young you were, you'd be bound to see it on the news or on your computer or somewhere. You'd be far more clued up, but we weren't. Nazi, I remember, was just a word to me. I, 
I don't think I even knew what it meant. I'm not sure I ever saw one. Uh, perhaps just one, but I'm not sure even of that. I remember coming out into our street one day and seeing some older children pointing at a man in a brown suit and shouting something. I remember it only because he got so terribly angry and shouted something back like, you just wait or I'll get you. And of course, the Nazi uniforms at that time were brown, so he could have been a Nazi. But on the other hand, he may just have been a perfectly ordinary man in a brown suit who got really fed up with these rude children pointing at him and saying whatever they were saying. It seems ridiculous, but I remember my last winter in Berlin as a very, very happy time when my brother and I had a, a wonderful Christmas and we saw our first talkie. We'd only seen silent films until then. And uh, what else did we do? We pooled all our money to buy a cuckoo clock, which didn't work. <laughs> and yet, all this time, there was really something really frightening going on under our noses. And even my brother, who was a lot brighter than I was, had no idea. As well as writing his anti-Nazi articles, my father used also to broadcast on the radio. As there was no television, this was very, very important and everybody listened to it. But there was no way of recording program. This is another thing that hadn't been invented. So every day, in order to do his broadcast, always at the same time, my father had to go from our home to the broadcasting studios, give his talk, in which he probably denounced the Nazis and mocked them, and then he had to come back again through the Berlin streets. And of course, anyone who wanted to harm him would know this, and they'd be able to waylay him, and anything could have happened. This was thought to be so dangerous that the broadcasting company used to send a car with two armed bodyguards to pick him up and bring him home again, always by a different route. My mother told me this much later. Uh, she must have been in terrible dread every time he went off to do one of his broadcasts. He himself thought it so dangerous that he once wrote her a farewell note in case he should never come back. But at the time, my brother and I just thought it was really rather grand that my father should be collected in a car, particularly as we hadn't got one. Finally, one day in February, my father was in bed with flu when a policeman rang him up. There was no one he knew, just someone who'd read his writings and had liked them. And he told my father that there was a plan to take away his passport. My father was really quite ill with flu. He had a high temperature. But uh, my mother just packed him a rucksack and he got out of his bed and took the next train to Prague, which was uh, the quickest way out of Germany. 
and later uh, he used to have nightmares about that journey, that journey, and dream that uh, he was being stopped at the front uh, at the frontier by the Nazis. But that was the first time I realized something of what was going on, because of course my mother had to explain to my brother and me why my father had suddenly disappeared. And she also said that we must not tell anyone. The reason she didn't want us to tell anyone was because my father thought that if the Nazis knew that he'd got away, they'd try to hold on to my brother and my mother and me to get him back. And of course, that's exactly what they did to other families later. But uh, she didn't tell us about the hostage taking, so we wouldn't be too frightened. It was quite hard not to tell anyone because he was so well known that people kept asking us about him. And they'd say, um, uh, is your father all right? I haven't read anything by him lately and I haven't heard him on the radio. And my brother and I would say, he's got flu. And they'd say, really, he's still ill? Um, he's been ill an awfully long time. What does the doctor say? And uh, uh, I found it terribly difficult. So anyway, my father was in bed in a hotel in Prague trying to get over his flu. And my mother was in Berlin. And they didn't dare talk to each other on the telephone because, again, the Nazis might be listening. Um, and so she didn't know what to do next. And she traveled to Prague just for a few hours and said, now what do we do? And my father said, we must all be out of Germany before the elections. And it was a terrible rush because there was only about a week to go. And my mother had to give up our house and arrange for the furniture to be stored and pack whatever seemed most useful. And of course, afterwards, we thought of all the things that we should have packed but didn't. And we still weren't allowed to tell anyone, my brother and me. Only on the day, on, at the end of my last day at school, my mother told me to go up to my teacher and say, I shan't be at school tomorrow. Um, we're going on holiday to Switzerland, and which was, in fact, we were going to meet my father in Zurich. And the next day we left. And we didn't travel all the way on one of the big express trains because my father had said they might be watched. Instead, we spent the night in a town called Stuttgart, quite close to the frontier. And then very early the next morning, we took a sort of a milk train that stopped at every village, but eventually got us across the frontier to Zurich, where my father was waiting for us. And this was actually the day of the elections, of the 5th of March, 1933. And it turned out to be just in the nick of time because we heard afterwards that the very next morning at eight o'clock, two Nazis came to our house to demand all our passports. 
So it's rather strange. My entire life is because we left when we did. I've written about all this, how we lived first in Switzerland and then in France, how we survived the war in London, where everybody was extremely good to us, and finally became Brits in a trilogy called Out of the Hitler Time. But today I'd like to read you a bit from the first book, When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, which describes our escape from Germany pretty well exactly as it happened. And then after that, if you like, uh, you could ask some questions. So, here we go. I can find it. Yes. The train was almost empty, and they had a whole compartment to themselves until a lady with a basket got in at the next station. Anna could hear a sort of shuffling inside the basket. There must be something alive in it. She tried to catch Max's eye to see if he'd heard it too, but he was still feeling cross and was frowning out of the window. Anna began to feel bad temper too and to remember that her head ached and that her boots were still wet from last night's rain. When do we get to the frontier, she asked. I don't know, said Mama, not for a while yet. In about an hour, do you think, asked Anna. You never ask, you never stop asking questions, said Max, although it was none of his business. Why can't you shut up? Why can't you, said Anna. She was bitterly hurt and cast around for something wounding to say. At last she came out with, I wish I had a sister. I wish I didn't, said Max. <laughs> Mama, wailed Anna. Oh, for goodness sake, stop it, cried Mama. Haven't we got enough to worry about? She was clutching her bag and peering into it every so often to see if the passports were still there. Anna wriggled crossly in her seat. Everybody was horrible. The lady with the basket had produced a large chunk of bread with some ham and was eating it. No one said anything for a long time. Then the train began to slow down. <coughs> Excuse me, said Mama, but are we coming to the Swiss frontier? The lady with the basket munched and shook her head. There you are, see, said Anna to Max. Mama's asking questions too. Max did not even bother to answer, but rolled his eyes up to heaven. Anna wanted to kick him, but Mama would have noticed. The train stopped and started again, stopped and started again. Each time Mama asked if it was the frontier, and each time the lady with the basket shook her head. At last, when the train slowed down yet again at the sight of a cluster of buildings, the lady with the basket said, I dare say we're coming to it now. They waited in silence while the train stood in the station. Anna could hear voices and the doors of other compartments opening and shutting. Then footsteps in the, footsteps in the corridor. Then the door of their own compartment slid open and the passport inspector came in. He had a uniform rather like a ticket, inspec ticket inspector and a large brown moustache. He looked at the passport of the lady with the basket, nodded, stamped it with a little rubber stamp and gave it back to her. Then he turned to Mama. Mama handed him the passports and smiled. 
but the hand with which we, she, she was clutching her handbag was very, very tight. The man examined the passports. Then he looked at Mama to see if it was the same face as on the passport photograph, then at Max, and then at Anna. Then he got out his rubber stamp. Then he remembered something and looked at the passports again. Then at last he stamped them and gave them back to Mama. Pleasant journey, he said, as he opened the door of the compartment. Nothing had happened. Max had frightened her all for nothing. There, you see, cried Anna. But Mama gave her such a look that she stopped. The passport inspector closed the door behind him. We are still in Germany, said Mama. Anna could feel herself blushing scarlet. Mama put the passports back in the bag. There was silence. Anna could hear whatever it was scuffling in the basket. The lady munching another piece of bread and ham, doors opening and shutting further and further along the train. It seemed to last forever. Then the train started, rolling a few hundred yards and stopped again. More opening and shutting of doors, this time more quickly. Voices saying, customs, anything to declare? A different man came into the compartment. Mama and the lady both said they had nothing to declare and he made a mark with chalk on all their luggage, even on the lady's basket. Another wait, then a whistle, and at last they started again. This time, the train gathered speed and went on chugging steadily through the countryside. After a long time, Anna asked, Are we in Switzerland yet? I think so. I'm not sure, said Mama. The lady with the basket stopped chewing. Oh, yes, she said comfortably. This is Switzerland. We're in Switzerland now. This is my country. It was marvellous. Switzerland, said Anna. We're really in Switzerland. About time, too, said Max, and grinned. Mama put her bag down on the seat beside her and smiled and smiled. Well, she said, well, we'll soon be with Papa. Anna suddenly felt quite silly and light-headed. She wanted to do or say something extraordinary and exciting, but could think of nothing at all, so she turned to the Swiss lady and said, Excuse me, but what have you got in that basket? That's my mogger, said the lady in her soft country voice. For some reason, this was terribly funny. Anna, biting back her laughter, glanced at Max and found that he, too, was almost in convulsions. What's a, what's a mogger, she asked, as the lady folded back the lid of the basket, and before anyone could answer, there was a screech of, me, and the head of a scruffy black tomcat appeared out of the opening. At this, Anna and Max could not contain themselves. They fell about with laughter. He answered you, gasped Max. You said, what's a mogger? And he said, me, screamed Anna. Children, children, said Mama, but it was no good. They could not stop laughing. They laughed at everything they saw all the way to Zurich. Mama apologized to the lady, but she said she didn't mind. She knew high spirits when she saw them. Any time they looked like flagging, Max only had to say, What's a mogger? And Anna cried, Me! And they were off all over again. 
they were still laughing on the platform in Zurich when they were looking for Papa. Anna saw him first. He was standing by a bookstore. His face was white and his eyes were searching the crowds milling around the train. Papa, she shouted, Papa. He turned and saw them. And then Papa, who was always so dignified, who never did anything in a hurry, suddenly ran towards them. He put his arms around Mama and hugged her. Then he hugged Anna and Max. He hugged and hugged them all and would not let them go. I couldn't see you, said Papa. I was afraid. I know, said Mama. Thank you very much indeed, Judith. That was, I, I'm sure even for those of us who have read that so many times, it's absolutely wonderful to hear it from the actual uh, author. And the, that episode with the, the cat in the box, I remember so clearly from reading it the first time too. Now it's your chance to ask some questions. And um, I'm sure you've got lots queued up. I know it's always a bit difficult to be the first questioner, but just think when you ask that question, somebody else in the audience is going to be absolutely delighted. So we've got somebody here. So the microphone will come out to you. And I may just repeat the question just so that Judith can hear it over Edinburgh's emergency services and the bad weather. What was your first cat called? What was your first cat called? <laughs> That's that sorted then. <laughs> Next question. What's your cat called now, Judith? Uh, Katinka. Katinka, but yes. We're just going to give you another microphone. <laughs> the name of my cat, and um, she is number nine. We've had eight cats before her, and uh, my daughter had five cats, uh, still has five cats, so it's beginning very difficult. It's getting very difficult to think of names for them. <laughs> Next question. We've got one down at the, the front here in a pink T-shirt. When you were in France, did you learn French as quickly as Anna did in the story? When you were in France, yes. did you learn French as quickly as Anna did in the story? Yes. Uh, well, I was only 10 years old, and I think at that age it, uh, uh, it doesn't take that long. And it, it did take some time. It took about a year. Um, but uh, you know, there's this funny thing that... Uh, you suddenly found you could do it. Uh, but I think it's rather like riding a bicycle. And I found uh, that other people had much the same experience. This question along here. I was just wondering why you decided to fictionalize the story of your life leaving Germany rather than write an autobiography. Why did you decide to write it as a, as a oh. in the third person? Really? I thought about that a lot before I wrote it. And I thought if I wrote it as an i-book, um, every bit of it would have to be accurate because I think it's rotten if you say this happened when it didn't happen. And um, I couldn't remember all of it. Uh, 
And also, I think some of the things which you do remember are very boring. Nobody would want to read about them. And so I, what I did was I made the book as absolutely truthful as I could about everything that mattered, what happened, uh, what we thought, uh, what my parents were like. Um, but sometimes I, I put two things together um, just uh, to make it more, um, because it worked better. Um, but my one idea in writing it was to say exactly what it was like. We've got a question right there. We're keeping you very fit. Yeah. Hi. Um, I'd just like to say that um, my daughter and I, uh, that's her there, um, we both read the book this last year. So I read it with the adult perspective and she read it with the perspective of a girl who'd just arrived in France and was immersed in French in the way that uh, you were, uh, not for the same reasons, obviously. Um, and for me, uh, with the adult perspective, she absolutely loved the book and uh, got a lot from it. Um, talk about the, the whole experience of, of having to leave everything behind and uh, there were some parallels there that were tremendous. Um, uh, with my adult perspective, what shone through for me, um, and I have a background of uh, also being a, someone who knows German and who spent a lot of time in Germany and who's also done work uh, that related back to the time um, that you were writing about, and what shone through for me was, was how positive uh, it was, how positive you made the experience, how positive the, your attitude was throughout. Uh, and I wonder whether that was deliberate or was that really how you felt or, or was that a deliberate... That was exactly how I felt, uh, but I'm not the one who made it positive. The people who made it positive was my parents because their attitude was totally positive. They made it seem like an adventure, and it felt like an adventure. And they were just very matter-of-fact about it. They said, well, we're in France. Everybody speaks French, so we'll have to speak French. And uh, I think uh, I owe a tremendous lot to my parents. Uh, they were wonderful. Uh, oh, we'll pick this one up down here. Why did you decide to write out of the Hitler time? Um, well, I think because uh, my, my children used to ask me what it was like when I was little. And um, I tried to tell them, but my, my daughter, who's very home-loving, uh, she thought, oh, it must be so terrible, you know, to leave your house and your cat. And um, I said, well, no, it wasn't. It was, uh, it, was, it was very exciting. I wouldn't have missed it for anything. Uh, and so I, I thought, you know, I, I would write about it and say what it was really like. Uh, I think that was the main reason. 
reasons. <laughs> Any other reasons? Um, <laughs> no, I'd done a couple of picture books. I think I thought it was time I did something else. Was it easy to get a publisher, did it? Uh, well, I was very lucky. Um, I, uh, the, the tiger um, shown to Collins and they said they'd, they'd do it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, when I, I said I thought I'd like to try and write something about my childhood, Nowadays, I suppose there'd be a committee meeting or something, but um, <laughs> Several. in those days, um, uh, the, the editor, who was the editor at the time, just said, jolly good idea, we've got nothing about that period. <laughs> well, it was the best decision they ever made, anyway. <laughs> Next question, we've got some over here. Do you have a special place where you like to write your stories? Yes, I have. Um, there's, I've got a room at the top of our house, and all the work I've ever done, all the books I've done, I've done there. Um, I, I, uh, well, I, I worked for the BBC at one time, and, and before the children were born. And then uh, I didn't do anything until uh, the children were both at school. And by that time, we had this house, uh, and there was space in it. And uh, I have this room where I mostly sit and draw, but uh, I, I wrote the books there as well. Yes, I've done. I don't know what I do without it. Here. Did you always want to be a writer? No, um, I'm not sure I am one now. I, I'm, I'm a drawer. I draw things. I've always wanted to draw all my life. I think, uh, uh, well, I got into writing sort of through my husband, really, who wrote film scripts and television scripts. He wrote something called Quatermass, which you're all much too young to remember. But it was a terrific thing. And uh, he helped me. Uh, he taught me a lot. And of course, my father was a writer, so I'm not sure I'm really a writer. I think I'm the daughter of a writer and the wife of a writer. Um, so I write a bit. I hope you don't mind me asking what your inspiration was for The Tiger Came to Tea. It was my daughter. She was three years old. and. Uh, uh, not quite, I think, two, two and nearly three. And uh, I was trying to make up bedtime stories for her, and uh, this one, one she liked. Um, I've always been slightly hurt because um, I tried to tell her all sorts of other stories, which I thought were perfectly all right, but she would not have them. She used to say, talk the tiger, in a very imperious way. <laughs> Have you ever been back to see Pink Rabbit? Well, um, I haven't, uh, I never got Pink Rabbit back. Uh, I've been back to Germany because, you know, books were published there and uh, found it all, 
very, very changed, and people there are very concerned about what happened so long ago. Um, I never got Pink Rabbit back, but uh, at various times I have been given the odd Pink Rabbit, <laughs> which is very, very nice. <laughs> I've got a particularly nice one that I got just the other day. Um, do you think your past experiences have affected the way you are today? Do you think your past experiences have affected the way you are today? Well, um, yes, I mean, I, uh, I, know, I know a bit more about uh, other countries. I know what it feels like for the vast number of people who've been refugees from their country since. Uh, and um, I think I'm, I was very much affected by something that doesn't appear in Pink Rabbit, which comes in the next book, about um, the way my family were treated and helped in this country. Um, my brother, my, my, my husband always said I was um, far more pro-British than he was. Um, but he was a Manxman, so that maybe accounts for it. Uh, but I think like most people of my generation, we cannot forget how incredibly good people in this country were to us during the war. And when we first came here, um, it was extraordinary, unforgettable. This is a good country, or two good countries, three good countries now, <laughs> however many. Um, there's a boy at the back with a yellow T-shirt. You had your hand up. Yes, right at the back row. How many words were there in Pink Rabbit and how long did it take you to write it? I don't know how many words. It seemed an awful lot at the time. Um, I think it took me about a year to write it. Because uh, sort of you plan it a bit first and it's always hard to tell how long something takes because even picture books, you you think about them for quite a while before you realize that, yes, this is going to work, and then you have to write it all down and cross it out and rewrite it, in my case, and all dreadful. Um, let's have one more from this side. Well, I've got two things. Um, do you think that when when you went to England in the, at the end of Pink Rabbit, did you learn English as easily as you learned French? Yes, I think um, probably more easily because um, for some reason the first foreign language you learn seems more difficult than anything else. Uh, 
by the time we came to England, uh, well, there were two things. One is the fact that English is largely a mixture of French and German. And the other one was just a matter of confidence. We knew we'd done it in France, so we knew we'd be able to do it again. So do you think you'd, you might be writing any more books? Are you writing any more books? Uh, well, I'm doing, uh, I'm just doing a new picture book, uh, which uh, I, it's, it's quite fun, yes. <laughs> are you prepared to reveal anything about it? Sorry. Are you prepared to reveal anything about the picture book? Or you, you no, well, there's two, actually. There's one which is about to come out, um, which uh, isn't quite out yet, called um, One Night in the Zoo, which is sort of about animals doing ridiculous things. Uh, and then I'm doing another one, um, which is different, but they both rhyme, which is a new departure for me, which is quite fun. There's a little boy up there who's been trying for yes. ages. Yes, you. Which? I think it is a, uh, was it a boy or a girl. I'm not sure. It's a girl, <laughs> little girl. Oh, yes, I didn't see the ponytail. Um, were you scared um, when your father was gone? Um, not then, uh, because I didn't quite understand it, but I was terribly scared later, because when we were in Switzerland, and um, uh, and I heard that, uh, I think he was in France by then, but I heard that even though my father wasn't in Germany, uh, the Nazis had put a price on his head. And they did kidnap people, you know, they wanted in other countries, and took them back to Germany. I heard about that, and I really was very, very frightened. But he was all right. Um, over the, is that a boy in a blue T-shirt there? Um, why did the Nazis want your passports? Why, why, did, why did the Nazis want your passports? Well, if they'd had our passports, you see, we wouldn't have been able to leave Germany, and then they could have done anything they liked with us. And you have to have a passport to go. And uh, so we just got out in time. At the, back, the back row there? In Hitler stole Pink Rabbit, there's a bit where they get in the wrong train and nearly go back to Germany. Was that true? Um, it was sort of true. It didn't. It happened to my father when he was by himself. It didn't happen when my brother and I were there, but it happened. Um, this weird thing that um, somebody tried to put him on a train going back to Germany instead of going to Paris. Uh, that was very frightening. And that was when they put the price on his head, you see, and uh, they were after it. And my father was so absent-minded, it's a wonder he noticed. <laughs> Thank goodness he did. Um, the Navy sweatshirt down there. 
Um, well, what's, what's the book after Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit? It's called Bombs on Aunt Dainty, and it's about um, being in London during the war. Um, I quite like that one because um, it was, it's longer, so it was harder to write. Was it difficult to stop writing about Mog, or did you find it a relief to stop the series? I, I t um, it wasn't really difficult. I, uh, well, I, I wanted to write this book about, uh, you know, dying, and uh, we have, as I say, I'm on my ninth cat, and all these cats were buried in the garden, and uh, two guinea pigs, four or five hamsters, I don't know how many goldfish, <laughs> stick insects, um, and uh, I thought it would be nice to do something about, uh, well actually I was thinking about uh, people dying as well, I was thinking about how if you die, um, well, I was getting very old by now, you see, so that's why I was thinking about it. And uh, you don't lose people completely when they die because uh, you remember them and you remember, mostly you remember the funny things they did. And uh, I thought I'd like to do a book about that. Uh, but uh, I was, you said, was I tired of Mog? I was terribly tired of painting the stripes. <laughs> and in the book I'm doing now, there is a cat, but it's only got a very small part, but it's white. <laughs> Next question, at the back here, it's a lady in a stripy t-shirt. Of all the books that you've written, do you have a favourite? Uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I quite like uh, Bombs on Aunt Dainty, the one that comes after Pink Rabbit, because... Um, and then, if I'm doing a picture book, I, I try each time, you know, to do something new and I think, oh, well, perhaps this is one's going to be better than the others. I don't know if they are. But uh, when I'm halfway through, that's really good. <laughs> what do you like to read yourself? Oh, um, I like Harry Potter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Right in the back in the corner there, a very patient person. How many books in total have you written? Uh, I was trying to remember. Um, I think it's maybe 26, I'm not sure. 
uh, I keep adding them up and it comes up to something different every time. Next question we've got. Is there one, one on this side? Else? And we've got one over here in a blue sweatshirt. Because of the cat and the train that you like cats so much, or is it something else? No, I think um, <coughs> uh, the cat and the train is an invention, and I think I do tend to stick cats in. <laughs> you know, they, they, I like cats, and so they get in somehow. <laughs> A red T-shirt, your hand up there. What did you like writing more, The Tiger Who Came to Tea or The Mog series? Um, oh, I think uh, when I was, The Tiger Who Came to Tea was the very first thing I did and uh, it was incredibly difficult uh, because I, you know, I'd never done it before and I wasn't sure if I'd got it right. Um, by the time I, especially not the first Mog book, by the time I'd done a few, I had a better idea of what I was doing. So in that sense, um, it was more difficult uh, to do the tiger, I think. Um, and I don't know, they're all difficult, you know, when they won't work and you try and do something and it won't come out. It's uh, and then sometimes you do a bit and it's just right, and then it seems easy. Uh, I think they're all a bit like that. Right at the back in the corner. Do you enjoy writing the books more or illustrating them? Well, um, I found that um, when I was writing them, it seemed really hard, and I'd think, oh, I wish I was illustrating one. And when I was doing the drawings, um, and I got stuck, and I'd think, oh, I wish I was just writing something instead. So I'm not sure. I think uh, I do love drawing. I do like drawing best, I think, now. And down here. What age were you when you got your first cat? Um, old. Um, uh, I think I must have been 39. It's when we moved into the house. And of course, I could never have one as a child because we were wandering all over the place. And uh, it didn't seem fair to have one in a flat, which is where we lived for quite a few years. And then we got a house with a garden, and almost the first thing we did was to go and get a cat. What was its name? Mog. Uh, my, my husband was very good with cats, and so he knew all about them. I just longed for one, and so we, we got this kitten, little kitten. 
That was through Intramog. Did it look like Mog? Did, did it look like Mog? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, um, the first Mog book uh, is just nearly all things that Mog did or that friends cats did. Uh, the only thing Mog never did was to catch a burglar. She never did that. Uh, but I always found with all the Mog books, um, they're nearly all based on something that a cat actually did. They're always much better uh, than when you try to invent something because they do such weird things. Um, we've got a question up, two up there actually. Do you want to take the T-shirt? The the turquoise t-shirt first, and then the pale blue shirt next. Is, is the picture on the um, front of When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit a picture of you? Yes. Uh, well, uh, uh, which one? Oh, yes, this, this is yes, this is me. That's me. Um, I think I was a bit less than nine. But, um, yeah, that was me. And behind you in the corner? If you weren't an author, what do you think you'd like to be? If you weren't an author, what would you like to be? A painter. <laughs> and if you were, weren't a painter or an author, is there anything else you'd like to be? Well, a mum, I suppose yes. I've been that anyway. You've obviously enjoyed that a lot. Too. Yeah, oh yes, yes. yes. No, they're very good. Yes. Any more questions? Would you like to ask a question, Valerie? You would. Now, I just want to tell everybody that they might be interested in the current project that Judy's doing, and that's working with the wonderful Seven Stories, the Centre for the Children's Books in Newcastle. And the next exhibition opens on the 17th of September, and it's called From the Tiger to Mog and Pink Rabbit, and it's wonderful. It's got all Judy's artwork from many of her books, her drawings when she was a little girl, there's a big tiger, you can sit at Sophie's table and pretend you're having the tiger to tea. And it's wonderful. There's lots that the adults will enjoy as well because there's lots about the war and the evacuees and everything. So I do urge you to go and see it. Newcastle is very easy. One and a half hours on the wonderful, whatever it's called these days, uh, the train. <laughs> uh, and um, I can't remember the website offhand, but if you Google Seven Stories Centre for the Children's Books, you will find all the information you need about the exhibition. Thank you. Thank you. I can't recommend Seven Stories highly enough, actually. I think we've got room for one more question. We've got a hand up at the back here. Sorry, it's a wee bit difficult to see sometimes. How old were you when you wrote your first book? Um, oh, we get quite old. Um, I started writing it, uh, oh, this was the Tiger, when did I start? I started, I think in 1965, 1966, I would have been um, uh, born in 23, what does that make me? Um, well, don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 23 to 65, about 42, 43. Um, 
uh, it wasn't published uh, till 68 when I was 45. So it was quite late, but I'd done, uh, I'd been to art school and I'd done a lot of drawings and I'd written stuff for television. So I, all I, all that was missing really was the children. So by the time I'd done all that and had the children, um, I was ready to do a picture book. Well, thank goodness you were. And um, I'm always amusing when Hitler saw Pink Rabbit because Anna, at one point, she wishes for a difficult childhood so she can become famous, <laughs> which I always think is quite a, you know, how difficult can you possibly get? But it does, it, in later life, reading that, it does bring back just how extraordinary your parents must have been in managing you to transport you through Europe as they did and, and to give you such a happy, a happy childhood, which comes over so beautifully in, in all the books. Judith, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you today. A big thank you to all of you who asked questions because they were super questions. Um, I'm about to, if you can not mob us, but if you let, let me take Judith out to go to the signing tent and I'm sure she will sign any books you've got but also ask, answer any questions that you might have then. Can I say a huge thank you to Rachel who now has to thank herself in signing <laughs> because what a job she does. But above all, a big, big, big thank you for an absolutely amazing session with Judith Carr.